that's a classic, isn't it? I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody is a classic. It's the 6th of July. I could have sworn it was the 7th, whatever. I think the days have been blending in for me like crazy lately. But um, today, we're going to talk about a few things. Something happened. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh. But uh, it's important for us to understand that we should not allow for deals. Now, in other news, I wasn't going to make this public news only because it's a private matter. But obviously, I don't know who has resist the mainstream. Um, you know, the one that took Tracy Bean's article that triggered her. Um, but they made it public. So yesterday it was really hard. Um, you know, Mayor Rudy Giuliani actually underwent surgery. Uh, and, uh, you know, last night he was in the ICU. He's recovering and resting now. So thank you, everyone who prayed. Um, and uh, thank you. Um, another thing is I had gotten a coffee machine a week ago from someone amazing named Ray. Like physically gave it, right? And I have not had the bandwidth to have happiness. Um to open it. You know, I know a lot of people are like, what? And it's like, guys, I, when I see that someone has taken the time to do something, I make sure I have time to enjoy it. Um, I did take it all out of the box. I think I broke a sweat because it's like the way they package these things. It's like, you have to flip it upside down, do it this way, that way. And um, uh, I haven't turned it on yet uh, because I want to you know, get it working. So I'm excited. Um, so I think today it's important to revisit the things that I've talked about, Nimrod, and um, pretty much suss out uh, the differences between remorse and regret. And uh, this is something that uh, is pertinent to um, what is going on, considering uh, our new cycle and the status of uh, our nation. But um, a lot is happening that a lot of people don't know about. And that's okay, because right now we don't need the people to know about it, because that's where we turn into the Wally people that just float around with no bones on a seat with a soda drink. Um, there is a great difference between remorse and regret. They're not the same thing. Regret has to do with wishing you hadn't done something. And uh, you may regret that what you did hurt someone, but you regret it because it hurt you, not because, you know, it harmed someone else. It hurt you emotionally. It hurt your ego. It hurt you financially. And it led to you being punished in some way. Right. And regret has the same feelings that remorse does. It leads to sorrow, grief, hurt and anger. But that pain that is felt is not felt for others. It is felt for themselves, right? Um, not for their behavior hurting others. And so, so I want to express that remorse actually comes from deep inside when you have empathy for the pain the person is feeling because of your actions, right? Uh, if someone feels um, pain because of something you did and you have actual empathy, you know, for it, 
people that are narcissistic or have borderline personality disorders, usually toxic people, people that think that they can talk to you any way they wish, uh, people that can, uh, you know, that make it feel like they're doing a favor just being around you, you know, kind of those kind of people. Everybody's met people like that in all shapes and forms. They rarely feel remorse because they don't have very much empathy or understand uh, that they're, they are responsible for, you know, what they say or um, feel or do, uh, you know, remorse is when you actually feel bad, right? So how can you tell that someone is speaking out of remorse or they're regretful? Um, regret statements are, I'm sorry you took it like that. I'm not making excuses, but you do that too. Or why can't you just let it go? Let's just move on. You know, I didn't mean it like that. Or, yeah, please um, forgive me for this. Let's move on. I shouldn't have done that. I don't want to make you mad. Or, you know, they come up with a lame ask, you know, whatever. Remorse is more, I see the pain that this has caused you. Or you have a right to be angry. Or I was wrong. And I understand that it could take you a while to get over being hurt. You know, those are statements of remorse. Or I'm really sorry I hurt you. What can I do to help you? How can I make you feel better? I, I really fucked up. How can I help? Those are remorse statements. Those are statements and people that, 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 that are remorseful will avoid doing the same thing again because they don't want to hurt people. People that regret will avoid doing the same thing to avoid the pain that they went through. So regret um, and remorse are used interchangeably, but you can tell someone's intentions by the way they respond to it. When they're like, can we just move on? Or they tell you, oh, we must focus on this, you know, or we must do this. Let's just forget about that. Let's just move forward. Okay. Forget about 2020. Let's move forward. Forget about this. Let's move forward. Forget about that. Let's move forward. Yeah, 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 whatever. Let's just move forward. Oh, it's a bigger thing. Let's just move forward. It's like, you're not even feeling bad. So, you know, what was really weird is that I was on the phone all day yesterday. Actually, my at night, um, the minute I got off the phone with one lawyer, the phone rang. Get this. I was ambushed by my own headset. So I like to listen to music, as you know, when I work. <laughs> and I got the strangest phone call, which I will not repeat. But it was the weirdest freaking call. And the thing is, I couldn't turn it off because I have a sticker on the camera on my phone, right? That stupid thing goes blackout. And then I was going to, I was downloading some information from my phone. I was using it as, as a spot interim. I'll, I can't get into that. So I couldn't turn off my phone. So I just went on with the conversation. I was like, well, you know, I'm going through data or whatever. Um, I'll talk. It was the most random, unexpected call that made zero sense. And it was like, again, hitting back to the regret, remorse and bullshit. And it's like, you know, I, I, I get that there is remorse and I get there there's regret. But I mean, at some point, how many of us are going to stand up and say, you know what, this is complete freaking bullshit. Like, no one deserves to be put in a position like that. No nation deserves to be in, put in a position like that. And no person should be used. Right. And the thing is, I know a lot of people who use me a lot. And I let them because it's not my lesson to learn. Now, 
I was going to talk about King Solomon and, um, because it's most important that we listen to a story. I know a lot of people are not, uh, Christian, but this is a story that, um, may resonate to many at, at this time. Um, not everything said by this person I agree with, but we can, um, surmise a few things. Uh, it's important because, you know, King Solomon was a very wise man. The great regrets and blunders of King Solomon. We have arrived at the conclusion Solomon's of Solomon's book. book. Solomon had a relationship with the Lord in his early years, but he drifted away from God and began to live from a completely earthly perspective. In that environment, Solomon viewed life and came to some incorrect assumptions. Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived, yet he didn't always live intelligently. Ecclesiastes is a philosophical work. Solomon used logic to reach the conclusion that life is pointless and vain. His two main premises were as follows. First, everything of our existence is under the sun. Second, everything under the sun is vanity or meaningless. As a result, he came to the conclusion that life has no significance. When Solomon's first premise stated that all life is beneath the sun, he made a mistake in his reasoning. He should have known better. Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes near the end of his life, and it teaches us a lot of things. I say the later end of his life because it's fairly simple to determine an author's age based on his writing. One of the most well-known works in the Bible is the Song of Songs. We can tell how old Solomon was by the words he spoke. He lauded the love of a girl in the Song of Psalms, indicating that he was still in his youth. Then, when you read Proverbs, he wrote, Now son, keep an eye on the woman. Now we see he is middle-aged. We can see that he is attempting to prevent his son from repeating his mistakes. But in Ecclesiastes, he says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the teeth are few and the eyes are dim and the legs are shake. He is nearing the end of his life here. As a young man, he had come to understand that beyond the natural world exists a world that is more real. As a result, by leaving God out of his thinking, he arrived at the incorrect conclusion. Solomon, the Old Testament prodigal, eventually returned to the God of his boyhood. He raised his gaze to the things visible above the light. That's the only way you'll ever comprehend what it's like to live. Now, from a proper standpoint, he provides three brief remarks about life. Part 1. Life is a presentation. Listen to it. Solomon compared life to a play. We are the actors on the theater. This world is the stage. And God has given us a script. Ecclesiastes 12, 1-3 Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun and the light... The moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look through the windows grow dim, God has sent a message to every young person. Your youth might seem carefree and happy-go-lucky, but it is also a critical time. Typically, the most critical decisions in life are made when we are young. So Solomon offers some advice for you. Remember now your Creator. Come to Christ while you are still young. 
don't squander your life and then hand the tattered remains to God. Following that, Solomon provided the most vivid depiction of the aging process available anywhere. There will come a time when the irreversible aging process will take hold. Aging is a drag. In his writings refers to increasing joy. Darkness refers to increasing gloom. With aging comes a tendency for gloom and despair to enter in. 2 Corinthians 5.1 For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Solomon likened the human body to a house. Our earthly residence is a tent. Ecclesiastes 12, 3-5 In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look through the windows grow dim, when the doors are shut in the streets, and the sound of grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of music are brought low, also they are afraid of height, and of terrors away, when the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden, and desire fails. For man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. The following are the highlights. In verse 3, the elderly arms and legs are compared to the trembling caretakers of the house. Strong backs sag as they age. The darkish windows represent eyes, while the grinders are teeth. In verse 4, hearing loss is compared to a door closing. We sleep less and wake up earlier as we become older, and loud noises irritate us. Verse 5 acknowledges increased caution and fearfulness as hair, almond tree blossoms, goes gray. Lightweights become a burden, and all kinds of cravings, lust, eating, and others diminish. You may be youthful today, but you will be elderly if you live long enough. Pay close attention. The older you become, the more funerals you'll go to before your own arrives. Ecclesiastes 12, 6-8 Remember your Creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Solomon has reached the end of his life's play. Death can be a jarring, startling, and shattering experience, and your death is the opposite of creation our corpses decompose into dust. God has written the script for life's drama. When you've lived your life to the fullest, you'll be able to answer the great director in glory. It's no surprise Solomon was thinking about the vain things in life. Gloom, depression, and despair do not have to be a part of old age. Psalm 92:14. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. 2 Corinthians 5.8 we are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Philippians 1.21 For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Part 2. Life is an education. Learn from it. Ecclesiastes 12, 10-12 The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goats, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails, given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Part 3. Life is a destination. Live for it. 
Ecclesiastes 12.13 Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. Life marches ahead rather than backward. You're on your way to a place worth living for. First and foremost, consider your personal salvation. Fear God in the Old Testament means believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Do you realize you've been saved? Second, pay attention to your ongoing sanctification and keep His commandments. God knows where we are going and how to get there. He gave you the Bible for your ongoing sanctification to become more and more like Christ. Acts 16.31 So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Proverbs 12.13 The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. Ecclesiastes 12.14 For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Third, be mindful of your upcoming assessment. Life is not the destination in and of itself. Rather, it is the path that leads to the destination. God is the ultimate destination of life. An examination is on the way. Everything will be judged by the God who knows everything. Romans 11.36 For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Acts 17.30-31 Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Solomon saw that life is a vanity among vanities without the Lord. The good news is found in 1 Corinthians 15.58, which states, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. All ways lead to the graveyard without Christ. All roads lead to glory with Christ. The truth is you only get one shot at life. Yesterday has passed. You won't be able to get it back. You only have one chance at life, and it's dreadful to get at the end of it and feel like you've missed it. He could have anything he wanted and do everything he wanted. For starters, he was king, which meant he could do whatever he pleased. He was also rich. He was a highly wealthy individual. He was also famous. Now these are the things that the majority of people desire. Wealth, power, and fame are all the things that people strive for. Because this particular old man wrote it, Ecclesiastes is worth reading. Now I'm going to begin with chapter 11 verse 9. Ecclesiastes 11:9. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. What an important message for today's youth to hear. Pay close attention to what he says now. Remember God first and foremost, he continues. Keep his name in mind, and he admits that he had forgotten about him. Of course, this is why God isn't mentioned in Song of Songs. He had forgotten about God while young and in love. And all he could think about was this girl. Just remember God while you're young before it's too late, he advises youth. Fear God, he says a second time. You should not only remember him, but also fear him. According to the Bible's wisdom literature, 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Bible will teach you what it means to be wise. God will demand an account of what you've done with the life He's given you, and the fear of Him saying you messed it up is a legitimate one. And it's important to fear God. It's one of the biggest motivations to live right. And yet, Jesus said to be born-again believers. When individuals on the inside don't fear the Lord, those on the outside don't fear Him at all. So keep God in mind, be afraid of Him, and obey Him. Remember God, fear Him, and study His way of life. This, I believe, is why Ecclesiastes is included in our Bible. It describes where you will end up if you do not discover His way of life. That if you don't understand the meaning of life from both the perspective of heaven and the next world, you will be disillusioned, disappointed, and dejected, saying, well, it was all for naught. What was the point of this? Many people share this sentiment. Christians, on the other hand, do not. They recognize that everything we do for the Lord is not in vain. It is His eternal ramifications, for good or ill, that things could happen in you this weekend that will last forever, because our eternal fate is at stake. That is, I believe, why it is in the Bible. God teaches us how to live positively in the Bible, but He also teaches us how not to do things negatively. And He gives us both positive and negative examples, which together create a positive image. Ecclesiastes is a book that is primarily pessimistic. It's saying, don't finish up like this, because if you ignore God, forget about Him, don't fear Him, and don't live your life according to the Maker's instructions. You'll come to the end and realize it was all for naught. Do you want to live that way, or do you want to live God's way? Then you will get to the end and say, thank you, God. Those are really wise words. And if you think about it, how many people actually fear what is to come? As someone who was very close to God at a young age and kind of delved in the earthly type things and thought, yeah, this is it. Like, I am able to do whatever I want. I can. I can say that I was grateful that, uh, you know, I, I realized that pretty quickly. I mean, I, I believe I was a whole 10 years astray. And in those 10 years, a lot of decisions were made in my life um, that I could have made differently, but I wouldn't be here. And fear doesn't mean to be scared of. It's the fear that we had if our parents caught us throwing our clothes under the bed. We didn't put them away, but we shoved them under the bed, right? Or the toys, right? It's not fear, right? It's respect. I mean, it's like you're, you're sitting there and you're lifting your index finger, putting it in front of your face and saying, oop, you can't see me now. <laughs> and it's like uh, you're just holding up your finger. You can't hide behind your finger. And so a lot of people have the impression, one, that they already have an idea of who God is, what God looks like, and how, you know, his... Uh, plan unfolds. They, they, they stick by it. They're, they're told it. They believe that they have the capacity to even understand it. And then when God actually blesses them or approaches them in their life, they seek to try to take advantage of it. And like anything, 
and like any parent. He will allow us to take advantage of the good and say, okay, at this point, you're going to figure it out. At some point, you're going to figure it out. You're going to figure it out. You're going to figure it out. And then at some point, you don't figure it out. And then, you know, he's like, all right, I'm done. Off I go. And then it's like, well, you're God. Why have you forsaken me? You should forgive me. I've done all these bad things. So you did all of that. You knew you were doing all that. You know when you're in the wrong, but now you're upset because it hurts. I love you. But I think you need to go through this pain to figure it out. Why don't you try putting on your own t-shirt? That's basically how it is. You can't remember him when shit fucking goes wrong. You can't remember or start to feel remorse, you know, way down the line after you've pissed all over him, right? He's going to say, well, I'm glad you feel that way. Now let's see you claw your way back out. And unfortunately, when people are put in a position where they lose everything or they're about to lose everything, they never turn to God. They turn to, what can I do to make this better? I'm going to use my smarts. I'm going to evade the pain and I'm going to make it better. So they use non-good non ways to rectify the situation they're in. And that's where they seal they, their fate. And it all stems from them apologizing to God for what they've done. And when it's not genuine, damn, that shit's going to come back to you tenfold. And that's the way it is because people still haven't realized that unfortunately, you know, and I go back to that comedy skit that, 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 that Ricky Gervais did. Let me see if I can find that clip. Hold on. Um, the way he said it, yeah, it was whatever. But he said, yeah, you know, God created like, well, you know, it's not like he did this. You know, it's like, um, hold on. Uh, here. This is stand up. Yeah, there it is. I'm going to play this for you. And the, what he said was truthful. He said, um, yeah, it's not like you're going to understand. Your mind is like this little and God's is massive. Um, but here's eight minute comedy skit give me a sec and not just a bit of stand up i will of course be touching on the most violent and destructive animal on the planet the giant gorilla ladies and gentlemen <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh look at him uh, so, some people think he meant humans on the planet's man <laughs> hello Look at him. That would rip a man to pieces. Think. Look. Ah! Look at the size of him. They're buildings. God, no man. Would the worst, most prolific mass murderer would... Uh, wasn't, Dr. Harold Shipman wouldn't be able to... He would not, how would he get that in an armchair when its kids were out? It wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. Ah, fuck off. Fuck off. Look at it. Worst dictators in the world. He's killed the Pol Pot. He's, he's killed the most. 100,000. You know who Pol Pot is? The bloke in charge of Cambodia. Um, he killed 100,000 people. He'd shit himself if he saw that. <laughs> this is absolutely true. He, he, he rounded up anyone he thought was intellectual and had them executed. Absolutely true. 100,000 of them. And how he told whether someone was intellectual or not was whether they wore glasses. 
If they're that clever, take them off when they see him coming. <laughs> they're, they're thick, don't you? They're thick. <laughs> they're going, mm, yeah, well, kick it up, look out, here comes Pol Pot. All right. <laughs> yeah, 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 not too bad, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, lovely, it is, yeah. Oh, yeah, going through, see that, yeah, see that. Fucking wanker. That's, I could solve the world's problems if I cared. Oh. <laughs> Not all gorillas are that big, obviously, that's, but they're still pretty big. You see a mountain gorilla up close in the zoo or, you know, in the wild, kill it. Before it could, no, I'm joking. They're very, they're very passive. They're honestly very passive. Totally vegetarian. Um, unlike some great apps like chimps and bonobos, they get a bloodlust. They hunt a monkey. A gorilla will only ever eat vegetation. It will never attack unless provoked. And um, this was illustrated quite well a few years ago. Do you remember when that uh, little toddler fell in the gorilla enclosure at the zoo? Uh, it was about three, and uh, he fell down and he um, knocked himself unconscious. And this big silverback, his name was Jambo, just started walking towards him. And the people he was with and the people at the zoo, they were going spare. They were screaming. They didn't know what to do. They were at their wits end. They filmed it. <laughs> didn't completely lose the plot. They probably figured if we lose him, we make 250 quid. <laughs> I mean, insurance, not a complete disaster. Send it to that Jerry Bill or that big one off Emma, also named Merriman Trude. Um, and uh, I don't know. Um, I don't watch that. But the, um, the, the mountain gorilla came and sat with him, just looked after him until the, the authorities got in, shooed him away, and it was fine. The kid was absolutely fine, and uh, they didn't send it off. But it was fine, it was a happy ending, and that's fairly typical. I was watching that with my nan, and she was getting on a bit then. And uh, well, she's dead now, but. And. Uh, it's true. She said, she said, look at that. He was lucky. Because usually they gobble them straight up. <laughs> usually. How many kids has she been thrown to the gorillas in her time? <laughs> she also said, right, uh, she's dead now, but she was on the way then. And, um, <laughs> uh, the neck up. But uh, she, uh, do you remember the Strange Ways riots about 10 years ago? And the prisoners were up on the roof for about three days, and the guards and police couldn't do anything. They were, just, uh, they were ripping the place to pieces. They were putting the tiles off, and they were just throwing it down for about three days. She went, look at them. They should be locked up. <laughs> Very rare, luckily, giant gorilla. Um, no. Uh, one official sighting, New York, 1930s. Um, <laughs> made the news because it grabbed a starlet of the time, Faye Ray. Right, she's... She's pretty big. <laughs> I used to uh, think we evolved from apes. Um, Darwin's theory of evolution through natural selection seemed pretty watertight. But in, in doing research for this show, um, I, I came across a theory um, that deviates from Darwin's. And, and I believe that. I just found it in a dusty old book in a, in a library. It's called The Bible. <laughs> And uh, Darwin was wrong. Um, we didn't evolve. God made us. Um, so I just want to explain to you exactly how that happened. 
Okay. The first book of Moses, commonly called Genesis. Start at the beginning. Um, fairly big book, but... <laughs> Friday, isn't it? <laughs> Lock the doors. Okay. Took me four years to get this platform. Now they listen. Just think about it, blown it, just going door to door. Right, okay. Um, some of the things you, you, you'll hear um, do sound a little bit far-fetched. I admit that. I thought it was. Weird. But um, then I found out that the other name for the Bible is the Gospel. So it is all true. So, <laughs> luckily, clue is in the title. Okay. Come on, come on. The Bible. Okay. Chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Doesn't go into detail. Um... <laughs> He doesn't need to explain to you. You probably understand it because he's got a massive brain. Yours is little, and, he, and you go, "What?" He goes, "Don't what? Just trust me." I, I did, um, and also, if he ex explained it to you, it would like ruin the enigma. Do you know what I mean? You go, "That's amazing." He just says, "It's a trick," and you go, "Oh." So it's like seeing, you know, it's like David Blaine did something. And you go, oh, "That is real magic," and you go, "No, I'm just standing on one leg and lifting the other up." <laughs> Easy. So. Keeps his cards very close to his chest, God. Good luck. Good luck to him. He can do what he wants. He can do anything, so he can do what he wants. Okay, here we go. In the beginning, God created the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Bit dark, he sorted that out. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Huh? Isn't that brilliant? Hey? <laughs> eh? Oh, come on. That's amazing. He just made, he made light up. Just, it was dark. It was nothing before. It's not like he saw someone on holiday. And went, that'll be good back on earth. He made it up. Do you not, you're, it, he invented, there was no, there was nothing to go by. It wasn't like there was twilight. And he went, let's have that a little bit brighter. He, <laughs> he just went, let there be light. And, there, and at the speed of light, he didn't go, let there be light. Come on, I'm busy. It's the first day. I've got a lot to do. I've only got seven days. It just, do you know what I mean? He, and he probably didn't have to say it. He did say it, but he could have gone, mm, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Brilliant. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Come on, he's amazing. What are you? Free your minds. Listen, right, okay. <laughs> so he did the light, invented it. Which means that he created the heaven and the earth in the dark. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> How good is that? I'd have gone, right, let's have a little bit of light. Let's see what we're doing. Right. <laughs> I need some planets. Um... <laughs> And even through mockery, the truth is there. He is that awesome. He is that powerful. He is that capable of creating light and doing all of that in the dark. This is the point. Even as they mock him, the truth is there. I always loved Ricky Gervais' deliverance. I think maybe because we have like a similar cat and he's infatuated with it. I kind of like him more. But um, as he's sitting there doing a skit so people can laugh, the more you see that the truth comes out. That's the point.
Well, people mock or challenge or don't believe or have this set idea, they're reluctant to see just how amazing he is. God has received attacks, no matter how you see God in your eyes. His people, saints all martyred, right? Angels, you don't even know how many and what they do, right? Nobody does. But because you have this earthly notion and you think that you can make sense of it, you justify your actions and then ask for forgiveness later. When God, the ultimate architect, built you, your software knows every little inner working of you you think you can hide. And a lot may say, well, he should intervene and assist. He should embrace his children. I know. Those of you that had children, as a parent, now I understand it. Beforehand, I couldn't. How do you allow your child to suffer trying to put on a shirt or tie a shoe or feed themselves or go to the bathroom, right? Because you love them. You let them learn. And what's interesting is, 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 as you see, is the mocking happens and mocking in, and I'm not just talking comedy shows, but the blasphemous and, and, and evil statements that be, are made or from those that say they're believers, but they're really not. They're everything but believers. Those are the people that will realize later in life, like King Solomon did, that there's a lot that they failed on. And the only person they failed is them. See, God may be your creator, but it's all you. And as I said, a second just went by. Another second just went by. It's gone. It's not coming back. Time. The most expensive currency you have You should be spending it correctly, spending it to serve fellow people around you because it is that simple. It's not that complicated. But it's so hard to deprogram from these earthly uh, things. I, I, I have that challenge. If I was not blessed to be a parent, and God knows I have no idea how that happened. Well, I kind of do because I was present and it was awesome. It was my first time. (laughs) I don't know if everyone like remembers their first time. I do. And it was like super awesome. Um, But I wasn't supposed to be able to have kids. So I don't know how that happened. And I I don't know how how Phoebe happened. Um, But becoming a parent made me realize... um, that sometimes you should be helping your loved ones, your neighbors, and the people that have a script given to them, the potential that you know, hey, this was written out for you, but it's all up to you to do it. And you give them that help. But then at some point, it helps when you sit back. And here's the rule of thumb. God will never terminate his relationship with you. He will never say, you're written off for me. That will never happen. But in fact, it will be you 
that we'll re- be writing him off and saying, yeah, we're not friends. I don't, you know, believe in this or I'm not doing this and you are this and you are that. It is you that ends that relationship with God. It's never the other way around. Never the other way around. He will not abandon you. He will give you exactly what you ask for. And he will treat you in the same manner that he will treat everyone else with pure and utter love. Because these are the lessons that we need to learn. And sometimes allowing us to feel that pain, losing everything, you know, your, your, your home, your family, your, your, your job, your hair, you know, everything. Maybe that's necessary to fix what's wrong. And get this. Maybe it wasn't necessary a minute ago, but you did or said something that makes it necessary now. Every moment counts and every action counts. And this I say so many times, uh, you know, and, and, and I'll never stop saying it, right? I was at the point where I lost everything. And all I had been doing was pursuing good. So I was actually doing good. This is how I saw it. I was helping. I was pushing forward. I was selfless. I, uh, this is how I saw it. And then everything in my life shattered. At that point, I was really angry with life. Angry. You took away, you know, obviously I was battling. I have nothing. They've stolen my identity. Now my family was a farce. Now this is happening. Now this is happening. I have no help. There's no one there for me. What do I do? How do I fix this? I can't fix this. And I don't know why you took everything from me. And there it is. The answer right in front of my face. The same tasks I've tasked others with too. You get forged through fire. And with fire come ashes. And through that, you come out refined and polished. But sometimes when you get thrown into a pit of vipers and your whole life being torched. You don't get refined by fire, you get consumed by it. So it's all about being consumed by the fire or not. I was right there at that point. I have no qualms of saying it. I had, you know, the criminal justice system telling me everything else was civil. I had a hungry child and elderly dogs with $2 in my pocket. I had all of these things manifest from one crime that perpetuated into tons. And I was like, what the fuck? And I was standing there thinking, this is not real. I went to every single um, agency that's been set up to help people in situations like that. They were all busy, full, or I didn't qualify. 
Now one lawyer in a 150 mile radius responded to any of my requests without saying it's a conflict of interest. What was a conflict of interest? And I was done for. It was going to be either the fire was going to consume me or I would just see how amazing he is to remind me, you knew and you didn't, but I did. Look what I did all these years. I'm trying to make it up. You're not doing it the right way. (laughs) Here's where I can see if you're really doing it for glory, for fame, or for real, you know, for your, (laughs) your real purpose. And that's where the fire is set. I kid you not. I will say this till the day that I die. Anyone who thinks that they understand what is happening, how it's happening, and what this master plan is, is a liar because they cannot conceive it. They cannot conceive intelligence that learns and interacts and mimics neighboring intelligence. They can't conceive the weaving of society and possibilities almost instantly every second. They cannot conceive that. This is why they can't conceive the Mandelbrot. You see what this architect's core looks like. You can see it. And yet you refuse to acknowledge it. And therefore, now that your nation is in this state where the veil is thin, where people are showing their true colors, whether they want to or not, and a lot of them are feeling regret and bitches run. Many feel that, you know, nothing's happening. Oh boy, yes it is. And many that do have information do not give it because it's not anybody's job to force feed you information. It is your job to understand it yourself. Learning your times tables by heart helps you solve simple multiplication problems. Understanding your multiplication problems helps you solve intricate, intricate math problems. There's a difference between knowing and understanding. To know something means you acknowledge it and you recognize it and you can reiterate it. To understand it means that you master it and you can explain it. There's a lot of things that people don't like to hear. But, you know, inspirational speeches are important, especially when we're going to be going through something soon. And this is part of a wealth motivation series, but it showcases some very wise words by President Trump. I think it's important you listen to them. People will ask me, what's the thing about you that's... Number one, I happen to be a nice person. I happen to be very generous with people that need help. I do. I like that. I love helping people. And also, I'm very honorable. I think things I say are somewhat controversial, but they're always true. I mean, they're, I mean, always true. They're generally true, or at least I believe them to be true. And some people may think that's provocative. 
But people think I enjoy provoking people or needling people. I, it's not that I do, but I'm, again, a very honest person. So I say that, and it provokes some people, and some people love what I'm saying. And what I'm saying is the truth. Because I do say the truth, and I do say what I want. Now, I'm a smart guy. I went to the Wharton School of Finance. I don't have to say those things. But I am an honorable person. I'm an honest person, so I say what is appropriate to say. In other words, I'm not a good liar. Politically, that may be a huge disadvantage for me because I say what I want and I say what's true. If you have a country, you have to have a border. So if somebody wants to come in through the legal channels, that's fine. But you can't just walk across and say, okay, good, everybody's a citizen. Yeah. You come from India, you come from China, you come from anywhere. You go to Harvard, you go to Wharton, number one in the class, you graduate, they throw you out of the country. You go back to China, and you beat the brains out of the people in the United States. In that case, I'm all for staying. You know, when you have education, when, you, when you're educated mm. in our country, and you're a wonderful student, a wonderful, I think those people should be allowed to stay. These people were serious about making sure everything was perfect. I respected that. I told my people, I respect what they're doing. I think it's great. Some of the people that we're getting in the United States are people you don't want. We're getting criminals. We're getting people from jails. They're releasing them. Like, we're like a dumping ground. They're releasing them into the United States, into sure. the southern borders, sure. uh, all over the place. And you have to take those people and get them out. And you have to be tough. And we're not tough about it. And I don't know, is it that we're not tough or are they just incompetent? Because I have a feeling there's a lot of incompetence beyond toughness. I, I think, you know, experience is a just a wonderful thing. Learning from experience is a wonderful thing. If you can learn from other people's experience, that's even better though. If you see other people making mistakes, learn from it. You don't have to make those mistakes yourself. But let me just tell you what I would do when my children, when I was, when they were very young, from the time they could speak, no drugs, I would tell them, no drugs, no alcohol, no cigarettes, every week. And I'd drum it in. And I have a lot of friends who have very talented children. I have a lot of friends who have very untalented children too. They'll never make it whether they take drugs or not, okay? <laughs> but, but I have friends that have very talented children, but they started drinking or they take drugs. These people, you know, it's a competitive world out there as you folks know. These people are at a huge disadvantage, a huge disadvantage. And so when I, people ask me, you know, your kids, they're doing well, they're in business, they're making deals better. First of all, Ivanka is outstanding. She's done an amazing job, as you know, and she's great. She went to the Wharton School. She was a top model. She did fantastically. And one day, boom, she got into the Wharton School of Finance and she just cut it off like it was nothing. But I tell people, it's such a competitive world, such a hard, that if your kids are taking drugs or alcohol, they're a, a huge disadvantage. Uh, I get paid a lot of money to make speeches and I give the money to charities and I'm happy about it and all this. But one of the words I've added over the last couple of years was pressure. Most people do not have the ability to handle pressure. A lot of people don't have the ability to handle pressure. And I say, you have to learn that about yourself because I really believe that to a large extent is an innate ability. Yeah. You have to learn that about yourself because if you're gonna be an entrepreneur, if you're gonna be very successful, you're gonna have ups, you're gonna have downs, you're gonna make mistakes. You have to have the ability to handle pressure. And if you don't, you should get a great job and enjoy your life. There's nothing wrong with it. But a word pressure is turning out to be more of an important word and more people are responding to it because a lot of people that I watch have, have no ability to handle pressure when times are bad. And I could give you so many examples and they fail. And I've, I told you, I've had friends that went bankrupt and they've never been able to come back. You know, they've never been able to, and I, I, I never went bankrupt. And 
But I will tell you, I've had tough times like everybody. I don't consider them tough times. I consider it a learning experience. You know, I learned a lot in the early 90s when everyone was going down the tubes. The real estate markets had totally collapsed. You couldn't get 10 cents from the banks. It's a long time ago. But early 90s. And I came up with an expression, survive till 95. And that was a great expression. It was covered all over the place. Survive till 95. I get a lot of credit for that crazy line. But it's true. If you could survive till 95, and I was able to more than survive and did some deals during that period. And then all of a sudden in 95, the market started turning and a lot mm. of things happened. And when I went through tough times, mm. I learned a lot. First of all, I learned about a lot about myself. I learned I could take it because I had friends that went through tough times and some committed suicide. Some just went into a shell. Some went home and said, Mama, don't let me out in the real world again. So what you do is you learn about yourself mm. a lot. So when you go through tough periods, you want to get through it. You want to get done. But think about it as a learning experience. When I was riding very high in the 80s, because I was a big darling of the 80s, uh, there was an article in one of the major business magazines, everything he touches turns to gold. And I believed it, but I was very young and I did lose focus. Um, I believe because I always made money in down markets. I've always done the best in down markets. The real estate business is basically an old fashioned business. It's get the best location, get the best building, make sure you manage it properly, get great tenants. You know, it's, it's never going to change. Now, you can, it can be computerized, and we do all sorts of things environmentally, and we save money on oil, and we save money on this and that, and we fight certain things that we should fight. I like it because it's, you can touch it, you can feel it. You know, it's there. I own a building. I own Trump Tower on 57th Street. But with, you know, technology, I look at some of these technology companies, and what is it? It's, it they come up with an idea. Two months later, the idea is no good. Uh, in the meantime, they've sold their company for $700 million. They're 21 years old and they can't read or write. I'm looking at some of those deals and some of the mergers where they're buying these companies. With I'm looking at, at numbers where a company makes no money and it's worth hundreds of big, you know, billions and billions of dollars. And it makes no money and has no prospect to make any money, but they value it highly. Now, who knows? I like real estate. When I went to school, two people. One was really smart. The other one was not so smart. The not so smart one went to work for a big oil company. The really smart one went to work for an airline. Well, let me tell you, the not so smart one is a very rich man today and does very well and heads up a company and he makes money. And the guy running the airline is it's tough, but he was smarter. He was smarter. He was tough. He had everything. He even looked better. Not that that matters. He had everything. He failed. And the other guy's a big success. Look, I can give you the stock answer. You got to love what you do, all that stuff. Okay, you know. But but one of the answers is, and that I think is very important, is, and especially as an entrepreneur, you have to pick a business that works. Because there are some businesses that are very tough. Now, if you don't like it, cancel that. Are you able to sleep at night and get up the next morning and go out and just absolutely destroy the competition? Because if you don't have that ability, it's very hard to be an, an entrepreneur. entrepreneur. So this was relating to business, but how can you apply that to your life or to your nation? Exactly the same way. When you wake up in the morning, you should ask yourself these questions. Do I feel safe? Do I feel stable? Right? In where I am. And I know for about 99.9% .9 of Americans, the answer, the earthly answer is uh, most and more than likely 
know. So how do we fix this? Well, it's all about making our voices heard and seeing things that we're uncomfortable with and confronting them and having difficult conversations and realizing the difference between remorse and regret. Because if you feel bad because you got caught or you feel bad because you know how incapable you are to stand on your own, when you feel bad because of repercussions, well, then that's regret. That's not remorse. Remorse is, wow, I inflicted pain. Wow, I'm this. But like he said, drugs and alcohol play a, a big part in that, a very big part in that. You know, I always say it. I should be an alcoholic. I have so much wine in my apartment. I was saying this to someone yesterday. I should be an alcoholic. I've got a shit ton of bottles of wine, but I can't. I, I personally, honestly, I don't understand how people can finish work and then go home and have three drinks. I don't. I don't get it. It incapacitates you. It doesn't make you feel normal. And if it does make you feel normal, then then you're the problem. Alcohol is great to have with your food. This is why I like wine. I'll have, you know, a quarter of a glass. I mean, I am a cheap date, right? But I'm just saying, it doesn't make sense to have to drink alcohol, which literally, you know, poisons you. That is actually the inner workings of alcohol. It poisons you. But everything in moderation, because red wine is great for your heart, right? White wine is great for, re get this, and, and not a lot of people know this, but white wine, the way it is, especially the Chardonnays, they actually help in exfoliating, I kid you not, your um, popotee, what is it called? Oh, God, I forgot the technical term. See, this is because I didn't memorize it. I know what it looks like. I can see it. It's the little feelers on your tongue. Uh, damn it. The word, it keeps slipping. But anyway, it exfoliates your tongue. <laughs> I kid you not. So, um, you know, and for someone like me who has a habit and I smoke because I don't want to take painkillers, right? Because uh, it has the same very small effect. It's like people that have attention deficit disorder uh, usually don't take a ADD medication, but instead they'll drink caffeine, a lot of it. That helps with ADD, actually. So, um, you know, for all of you out there that may have kids that look like they're distracted, send them to school with a, with a, you know, a flask that has milk, sugar, and caffeine in it. And they'll be focused like nobody's business. Yeah, there we go. Filiform papilla. See, <laughs> there we go. We found the word. Um, see, I know what they look like in the shapes. <laughs> I was like envisioning it, but I couldn't find the word. But um, I, I, everything in moderation. And that's what he says when you have external factors affecting uh, your ability to think or harness thoughts or or to uh, numb your feelings, uh, you'll fail anyway. That's 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 fact. You'll fail. So um, we're going to shift gears now and we're going to get into the news. We're going to talk about Adam Schiff and how worried he is about his life. We're going to talk about, you know, a fertility app that could lead to the, get this, prosecution of women in certain states because it's surveilling pregnant women. What? What? That makes no sense. So during this break, instead of listening to music, we're going to watch a clip 
And for those of you that are, are listening, you will hear it. This guy paid a private investigator to follow him around for a month, just to follow him around and then report to him. I want you guys to see what this, what I'm really trying to tell you. If someone was following you, do you think they'd notice? What if they were following you for a whole month? Well, I got someone to hire a private investigator to do just that. Hi, mate. Are you your Oh, nice to meet you, man. Follow me. And not only did I have no idea where they were, I also couldn't believe what they found. How have you found that out? The world of private investigators is, by definition, quite private. So finding information about them is tricky. But essentially, they are called in if someone wants to dig up some dirt on a rival, cheating partner, or mortal enemy. Why you chose to use your platform to be a narcissistic little child. Now, I don't think I have any huge secrets, other than I absolutely adore Lawrence Fox's music. They stole a march on your indecision. So what would happen if I got a friend of mine to hire a private investigator on my behalf. Um, uh, how, how should we do it? Do you, do you want to go down somewhere? And ask them to follow me for a month. What would they find out about me? And would I notice them being there, even though I knew that they were there? To answer this question, I got my friend Aziz to research and find a private investigator to follow me over the course of a month. I wouldn't know where they were, who they were, or what they were looking into. Either way, I reckon I'd feel like someone was watching me. So, today is the first day in which the uh, private investigator is meant to be following me. Um, <laughs> I'm, I am already paranoid and anxious and every single person I walk past, I'm constantly thinking, are, are they taking pictures of me? Are they following me? I mean, these gentlemen having chicken on the bench, I don't know. They could be following me. I have no idea. Um, what I said to Aziz is to make sure that I am not looking over my shoulder every single day. I've asked Aziz to hire the PI to surveil me at random points throughout the next month. So they could be following me now. They could be, they, they could not be. Um, so it just means that I can get on with my life and basically not have to constantly look over my shoulder. Either way, the time period has begun and I am very nervous. <laughs> I had a right to be nervous as across London at that very moment, Aziz had made contact. Hi mate, are you your oh, nice to meet you, man. Aziz has subsequently told me that in the research that he did, this PI was the real deal. David had given him five stars and called him top of investigations. Thanks, David. And with a quiet place to talk, they were ironing out some of the details. PIs don't come cheap, but I want to know what my secrets are. So Aziz came to an agreement and the hunt was on. 
Meanwhile, I'd forgotten all about being hunted and was just generally enjoying my life at an ABBA tribute concert. Is she looking up the lyrics? Can't believe you don't know them already. Over the next month, the PI, or PIs, followed me on random days. And I didn't have a Scooby. I've got a good chance, especially back then when it stops to look at that Vince's song. Right, let me get that shot. Come back a little bit. Come back around here. Come now. Which way's it going? Yeah, that's the Vince's song. After all of that, one month later, Aziz sent me a message with a time and a location for me to come face to face with my shadow. Hello. Hello. Maximilian Arthur Fish, I'm guessing. Correct. Good, good. Would you prefer Max? Um, Max, I think, yeah. I've been following you around for the past month or so. I have I have no idea who you are and I do not recognise you, which which really, really scares me. No. Good. Uh, no criminal record, I see. That's very good. Uh, you still re- residency at Am I right? That's correct. Yep. Well, I found out a few things about you. Uh, how are your parents, all right? Good. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Oh, lovely family. I know that we've paid him to do this, but it's getting easier. Yeah. So, uh, we're just going to go for a few things uh, what I found you doing uh, out there. You get up to all sorts in your life, don't you, Max, really? Uh, I'm guessing you've got quite a good uh, singing voice, as I might have heard. <laughs> there we are. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm in a choir. Nice. But I'm, you know that, don't you? Oh, I do. Yeah. yeah. I quite a few things online about the uh, Adam Street singers, I believe they are. <laughs> quite a few videos on there, you bell to get out. Lovely voice. I'm so glad that now everyone knows that I can sing. Uh, so it was a good save the other day as well. We went with your buddies, played some football. Saw that as well. Quite a good player. Oh yeah, this is this is a good one. Yeah, nice. On the ground. Where were you? Genuinely, where were you? This was before I thought we'd started this as well. So... For the past month, I've kind of been thinking, oh, there might be someone who's following around. But genuinely, this was before that period of time. Having a quick coffee. Yes, I had a coffee with Zach Allsop. Zach, it does look like I'm lovingly looking at you over my latte. (laughs) I'm so glad that got caught on camera. Uh, How are things going in the career aspects of your life, Max? Good. Good? Yeah. I saw you had a meeting with an agent about a week ago. (laughs) 
You're quite easy to follow in that blue cap you keep wearing. I should probably stop wearing that, shouldn't Ooh. I? <laughs> I'm literally looking right at you. How did I miss this? Well, there were a few times like that on the road, actually. But uh, you don't keep that much of a keen eye when you're walking about this city. Get it in your gut, Max. Mm. Jesus. So I've been able to find a few of your passwords quite easily. That probably needs changing somewhere down the line. So I've got your home Wi-Fi password here. <laughs> uh, KGH6SN7P. Yeah. That is my Wi-Fi password. So the password to your Instagram account is... How... How? <laughs> is there anything that you'd recommend that I do to make it harder for someone like yourself? Uh, yes, so in password sake, use a password manager. Right. If I can't find your stuff online, that's really the first stepping stone. So right. everything else comes from that. Okay. Um, please don't do this again. I guess I'm not going to be paying you anymore. <laughs> you won't be doing this. No you don't do this. <laughs> you don't do this. Hmm. You know, private investigators, your, you know, agencies, they're everywhere. I've said this before. I had access to a system where I could watch everything unfold. Sometimes I regret, and I say this, and I'm so sorry for saying this, but I do feel this, that maybe I shouldn't have had that report out with Millie on Global Strategies Group because I could have kept watching them talk. But he decides who, what, when, and where. He decides that I should not use their ways, but his ways, because it all happened then. So, Nimrod, we talked about the Tower of Babel, right? Where he had created a one-world order. Do you guys remember how it, the story goes? I found a little clip to remind us how the story goes about the Temple of Babel. Proposed to do will be withheld from them. What's happening? There is nothing to be concerned with. Our tower will withstand any storm. Collect the plans and move down the stairs quickly. Hurry, come to Looks like it could be a big storm. Maybe we should find cover too. So first statement, our tower can withstand any storm. Mm. Any storm. But when the people scatter, your tower falls. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So I'm pausing it. So God had decided that he's going to go down there and give them language. So they're all 
talking another language. Kind of sounds like right now, we're all speaking a different language. Every person not understanding what the new world order language is. They're getting confused, right? Confused. Light change their language. So as you can see, all these people are speaking another language and the guy's hanging off a stair. You don't need to speak the language to know the guy needs help because he's going to fall to his death. But instead, they stare at each other scared because they're not understanding each other. They're all speaking in a language and they're not understanding each other. What's going on? Why are we not all on the same page? Why aren't we all speaking the same language? Why aren't we all just following their rules and listening and coming together under one world order? Why? So there he is handing over tablets. They're working to take all the plans of the Tower of Babel to put them to safety. As he's passing them on, he starts speaking another language and people aren't understanding him. So they run away. Like you confronting a liberal, you're both speaking another language. You're running away. And then the liberals within themselves have their own factions. And the conservatives within themselves have their own factions. The Christians, the Muslims, the Jews, everybody has their own factions. Trying to save this one world government and nobody can communicate. It's pure chaos. The minute the light is shown, pure chaos. That was Greek, by the way. Hey, that's been up on sort system scan. Thank you. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel. Because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. 
You mean the Lord embraced diversity and ensured that the thoughts or being on the same page were disrupted. And see, this is something that happened a long time ago. So I found this video because everyone's talking about the Georgia Guidestones, which, you know, I'm always thinking to myself, when people talk about the Georgia Guidestones, don't they find it just kind of utterly fucking stupid that, oh, we don't know who did it. We kind of investigated it, but, you know, it's whatever. So I found this video from 2012 from Guitar Hero Phenomenon. And he has he has a, a good following. This is from 2012. And um, he talks about visiting the Georgia Guidestones or how he labeled them the Ten Commandments. So he posted this on December 29th, 2012, where he went there. Now, think about it. The state of Georgia doesn't know who did it, but it has like some lame fence. There's an organization and they're protecting it and they don't know who did it, but they're okay with it because it's a, a selling point. I don't know. But take a listen to his little clip here. As we finally made it. Danny, come here. Yeah, but come here. Finally, how many years have we been waiting to get to this place? Here it is. The famous Georgia Guidestones. I mean... This is fucking really spooky, really tell you the truth. I mean, it's pretty weird. Here it is. As you can see, these are all solid granite slabs, which I was in the granite industry, and this is a bitch to set these things. I'm going to tell you right now. This costs a lot of money to, to cut these things and to do this. All right, guys, check this out. There's a, there's a time capsule that's built six feet below this spot right here. And it doesn't tell you when it's supposed to be opened or anything right here. And, uh, wow. wow. So this is due north this way, due east, due west, and south. They got the Babylonian cuneiform, the Egyptian hieroglyphics. The writing on the weird Egyptian hieroglyphics stands for let these guidestones be an age of reason. Yeah. <laughs> the holes are the holes do this. They do channel through stone indicates celestial pole. The hora, uh, horizontal slot indicates annual travel of the sun, and the sunbeam through the capstone marks noontime throughout the year. They so misspelled pseudonym. Yeah. Oh, they did. <laughs> it's like a typo. Physical data right here. So as much money as they paid the granite company, Georgia Granite Company did this, right? Uh -huh. I remember some guys that, that worked, worked for there, they worked on this deal. Albert, they uh, told uh, me it was fucked up. Alberton Granite Museum and Exhibit, Alberton, Georgia. Yep. Yep. Unbelievable. wonder what's in the time capsule. Yeah, I'd like to know. Why don't they have a date when it's supposed to be opened, you know? Yeah. It's stupid. Yeah. All right, here we go. Maintain humanity under 500 million. So, how many people we got to kill? We got to kill a lot of people. Well, Monsanto's doing a good job. Maybe maybe Monsanto, maybe they did this. That's yeah, a good possibility. Who knows? But they want to kill plenty of people. We just know that they're killing a lot of people. Here we go. All. Guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Okay. Well, that's eugenics. So, who's, who's the head of eugenics right now, Scotty? Bill Gates? <laughs> Seriously. There's Pretty no, much. There's no eugenics anymore. Well, I mean, <laughs> okay, here we go. What else we got here? Unite humanity with a living new language. It's 
like Bible stuff. There we go. The Babylon, right? Power Babylon. There we go. Okay, there we go. All right. Rule, passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Get rid of all your passion. Get rid of all your faith. And get rid of all your old traditions with reason. Well, that, that might be good. What do you think? Sounds like you're a robot. Well, I mean, but some some of the old fashioned stuff and some well, of passion's the, important. Well, passion we got to have, you know. So I mean, we, we, you know, it says to become a robot and get rid of everything that we ever were. But I mean, some of the old traditions are pretty, some pretty fucking lame. Okay, but I mean, let's you know, some are okay with tempered reason. Okay, protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Well, okay, isn't so. that what America was all about? I mean, weren't we supposed to be free? And, you know. It's just, it's just telling you what to think. Oh, okay. Well, we'll go from there. Okay, let's see. Let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Isn't that kind of like New World Order kind of thing? Uh, isn't that like the United Nations? Yeah, I was going to say it's the UN right there. There we go, the Un United Nations. There we go. Maybe they, maybe they built it. Okay, let's see. Avoid petty laws and useless officials. Now that I agree with. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Avoid petty laws. Fuck yeah. And the useless officials. I mean, do you know any officials that aren't useless? <laughs> Let's get rid of them. There we go. All right. Balance personal rights with social duties. Okay. Come on now. Sounds like Russia, communist mode. You I know, mean, Soviet what? Russia happening. <laughs> social duties. Yes, let's get our social duties, huh? Okay. Nazi Germany. Prize, truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. <laughs> that sounds pretty fucking... That just sounds like it's throwing in there to sound like you're real nice or something. Yeah, okay. So stupid. All right. Well, I mean, we, we can we can believe in that. Though, they can just, you know? they we can prize truth. Yes, we prize truth, beauty, love, yes. Prize good thing. Okay. All right. Stuff. Well, I, I, like, <laughs> I, I, like the next, I like the next one here. Be not a cancer on the earth. Okay, I, 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 can, I can agree with that. Let's try not to be cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. Well, I don't know. We've, how many times have we traveled across the country? I think there's plenty of nature still left, isn't there? Lots of it, but... I mean, I think there's a lot of nature still yeah. left. So, I don't know. Nature. nature. What do you think? Nature. Well, there it is. Pretty, uh, pretty bizarre... Uh, guys, guys, I just want to let you know one thing. It's pretty bizarre. Each one and I want you to think about it. Like, you know, these guidestones, they come up and they have 10 rules that you must maintain humanity under 500, you know, million people. That means we got to get rid of six and a half billion. You got to, you know, guide reproduction wisely to improve fitness and diversity. That's called eugenics, right? That's called creating the fittest. Unite humanity with a, new, a living new language. One language, one government. That was English, obviously. Rule, passion, faith, and tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Let nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Avoid petty laws and useless officials. Balance personal rights with social duties. Prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. Be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. Hmm. Twice stated. The question we should be asking ourselves is... There's a time capsule, right? So what's stopping anyone from opening it up? Has anyone in Georgia actually challenged that to see who guards it, who funds it? 
And it is yours. Are any federal or state tax dollars being paid toward it? Are there any tax deductions to the organization that is doing it? These are questions you should ask because that gives you command over it. You know, the property where it's held. These are questions that people in Georgia should be asking. You should be asking these questions. Maybe we should actually solve this RC Christian mission. Yeah, it's a mystery. We should unravel that mystery. And that's up to the people of Georgia. Just ask questions. Find out whose property is it? Are they getting any state tax deductions? Any federal tax deductions or any tax dollars? Who is this organization? Guys, you have access to everything. For those of you in Georgia, I would be asking questions. I would be asking all the right questions. And see, the right questions goes back to what is happening right now. See, all the right questions are being asked by the left and the right. Adam Schiff was traumatized on July 4th. Listen to his rendition. He was so upset. You're one of the very lucky ones who has landed an internship with your member of the House of Representatives. And then you pick up the phone at the office and you hear this. You backstabbing son of a Go against Trump. Y'all know y'all sitting up there alive like a damn dog. And then you fill out a form noting that Illinois Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger has received yet another call in opposition to his service on the January 6th committee. And then those calls keep coming. Going to come protest in front of your house this weekend. We know who your family is, and we're going to get you. Wrath of the Lord God Almighty come upon you, your health, your family, your home, your livelihood. And and I pray, if it be God's will, that you suffer. You and Liz Cheney can both go to hell. We're going to get you. Coming to your house, son. Gonna get you and Liz Cheney. Gonna get you two little. <laughs> Congressman Kinzinger released a three minute sample of the kinds of calls he's been getting that, well, actually, not him, but his interns have been fielding uh, at his office. Thanks to Trump supporters, threats to members of Congress have increased dramatically since Donald Trump became president. They are up 144% since 2017. And as the January 6th committee continues its work, the threats will surely continue. Joining us now is Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff of California. He's chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, a member of the January 6th Select Committee. And he served as the lead impeachment manager for the first impeachment trial of Donald Trump. Trump. Congressman Schiff, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Uh, I'm sure you've heard uh, those calls to Congressman Kinzinger's office. I'm sure you have your own sample that you could release. Uh, What do you say to staffers, those young people uh, who get those calls? Well, it is very hard. Uh, And you're right, Lawrence, we've all had those calls, uh, certainly all of us on the committee, uh, and we, you know, we confer with each other about the threat environment out there, what we're hearing from people. Uh, I was in a parade uh, over the weekend, uh, actually on, on July 4th. Uh, and, you know, while most of the crowd was supportive, there was a healthy contingent of people calling me a traitor, uh, saying I betrayed the country. 
uh, and and uh, like uh, sentiment. Um, so we're all getting these kind of threats uh, on the phone. Uh, we report them to the Capitol Police when we feel they're sufficiently specific. Um, and and yes, it's it's traumatizing. I think for the young people working in our office. Uh, I had young people with me uh, during the parade, uh, hearing that kind of feedback from people. Um, and uh, and I'll tell you what was most traumatic for me was uh, at a fireworks celebration, uh, you know, talking to a what I think was a middle schooler about her active shooter drills uh, and the fear she feels in school. And uh, we have a lot uh, to cope with as a country right now. And uh, we have to, I think, reject these calls to violence, and we have to do something far more substantial when it comes to gun violence in particular. Uh, the committee announced today that you'll be having a hearing a week from today on Tuesday. There are reports tonight uh, that the witness will be Sarah Matthews. She's 27 years old. She served as a deputy press secretary in the Trump White House. She resigned the night of uh, January 6, 2021, with a resignation letter saying that she was deeply disturbed by what I saw. She said, our nation that needs a peaceful transfer of power. Uh, can, can you confirm for us that she will be the public witness uh, next Tuesday? Uh, I can't um, confirm that one way or the other. I'm going to leave that to my uh, chair and vice chair or to uh, one of my colleagues who will be handling uh, the next uh, hearing or the next couple of hearings. Um, but we do expect to get into what, uh, you know, what that crowd was made up of, uh, the participation of those white nationalist groups, the summoning of that mob uh, to the mall. Um, this is part of the progression that the chair and vice chair announced at the beginning of these hearings. We pretty much tracked those uh, all along uh, with the straight state pressure campaign, with the pressure campaign against the vice president, a hearing on the big lie, uh, and now focusing on that mob itself. Uh, and then finally, what the president was doing, and, and more important, what he was not doing uh, during that attack, the terrible dereliction of duty by the president of the United States. Will we be here in the next hearing? Will we be hearing more testimony like we heard from Cassidy Hutchinson that is in effect testimony from inside the White House? Uh, Lawrence, I really can't go into those kind of specifics yet. Uh, we, uh, and I know it's frustrating at times uh, to you all, but we've been very disciplined about what we're willing to share in advance. Uh, and, and particularly as this is not a hearing that I will be leading, I really don't want to comment on the, on the specifics. So, but what you just suggested is that it, that it will be about actual attackers uh, of the building. Uh, could, could, you, could you give us some basic frame of the hearing? Well, we want to shed light on how that mob came to be there uh, mm -hmm. on January 6th, uh, how they were called, how they were brought together, uh, what different groups were participating, the relationship between groups, uh, how they were incited. Uh, and, and so uh, that will certainly be uh, the subject of, of some of our upcoming uh, hearings. Now, you already had your Georgia hearing, uh, feels like a month ago, but it was a matter of a couple of weeks ago, uh, Georgia-focused hearing with Brad Raffensperger, who we know uh, is a witness in the grand jury in Georgia. Today, we get a flood of subpoenas uh, for that uh, grand jury, uh, including for United States Senator Lindsey Graham. Uh, what, is your, what, did, what did you see in that did you see a pattern in those subpoenas that went out today? 
Uh, yes, uh, you know, the Fulton County District Attorney and, you know, hats off to her is pursuing this very aggressively. Uh, the fake elector plot, the attempt to interfere with the Secretary of State's office, with the Secretary of State in particular, the calls, uh, the urging, the false claims of fraud, the uh, false presentation about that video uh, that took place at the State Farm Arena suggesting uh, uh, corruption that wasn't there. Uh, and I have to think that it was very uh, telling for the district attorney's office in Fulton County to watch our hearing and see the attorney general, Bill Barr, deputy attorney general and others uh, talk about how they investigated this, how it was complete nonsense. And they told the president this. Uh, and so that demonstrates the, the president and his campaign's knowledge that what they were pushing in Georgia was just plain false and fraudulent. Uh, and so I think uh, that that uh, provided some important uh, evidence uh, to the district attorney's office. I do want to underscore something that Andrew told you before the break, because I completely concur with it. It is very unusual for a local district attorney's office to be way out ahead of the U.S. Justice Department in a case of federal and national significance. It's very unusual for Congress to be way out ahead of the Justice Department. It really ought to be a broad Justice Department investigation, uh, and I, I hope that the actions of our committee and, uh, and Fulton County uh, have given the Justice Department a real sense of urgency about these matters. What we are seeing in this play out is that they are telling the world what they attempted to do in 2016. You're seeing this. The January 6th committee obviously is showing things to make people look bad. Like they recorded a bunch of people pleading the fifth. Of course, they're going to plead the fifth as if that's bad. They're going to plead the fifth because they will use everything and anything against you. Now, in your life, when you confront people with accusations, it's usually because you are capable of doing such. When you accuse someone, we're all victim to it. From things like, you stole my lipstick, to, you know, you cheated, to you're doing this, right? And it's usually because we're capable of doing it. Therefore, we reflect that on others. Your deepest fears of what one is doing are usually identical to that which you are capable of doing yourself. And this is how some people find themselves in the pits with evil people and not realize what they've been doing because they're not capable of doing it or um, attract it because of what they're doing. It's pretty weird. This, as you're seeing, is what they did. If you remember, Hillary Clinton was trying to get the electors, right? They were all trying to fix it. Kemp called them out for being in their election machines. And his daughter's fiance was killed in a car crash. Once he demanded in writing that Homeland explain why they were in their machines. No explanation. On January 6, 2017, SISA was created. That was the last-ditch effort. So while they had manufactured a hoax, disallowing Homeland Security, the CIA, and the FBI to give a good handover to the President of the United States coming in, right? Not a very peaceful transition. They didn't conduct the transition of presidency appropriately to President Trump. 
because they manufactured a Russia hoax. Do you see why Durham's investigation is so important? This is not about Hillary Clinton. It's not her just trying to win. It is the presidential transition team. So while they had all that going on, you didn't even fucking realize that SISA was created and your elections were handed over to the government. They handed over your voice to the fourth unelected branch of government. I mean, your liberty should align with your social duties, right? And they already created a fund where they could take your tax dollars. Do you remember that? Trump talked about it. That's when he got the whiff of shit. They're fucking with the elections. Remember when they voted that your tax dollars now with the FEC, that they get to appoint people and then take your tax dollars to fund campaigns as long as it's a dollar a dollar. Do you remember that? I did. For over a year and a half, I've been in TikTok with an undercover libtard account, earwigging, Red pills without being red pilled. Hating Trump, of course, right? But at the same time saying, why are they asking us for money? It only takes one big account to want to take your idea. And that's it. See, that's the way I work. You give knowledge to people in the way that they can digest it. To people that are programmed to see rainbows, you speak rainbow. To people that are programmed to see, you know, cricket meal is a good way to go and you should be very happy that now we can create flour out of crickets. You'll like it and enjoy it and it's good for you. Eat bugs. You speak bug. See, education is key. And all you have to do is find that one racist remark that somebody made and then say, oh my gosh, they have like all this money. Look at this. Like what the heck? And they're asking us for money. Damn, Trump is an ass, but at least he paid for his own campaign. Suddenly that's kind of going viral now. Hmm? I think it needs to go viral with the Republicans. I showed you yesterday that one guy raised 800000 and 400 of that shit went to the GOP. For what? Why did it go to the GOP? Why do we need that? See, the Democrats, uh, Democrat voters are misdirected. Misdirected and that you cannot, and this is from the beginning of time where people talked about thoughts, discussions, and debate. You cannot train a fish to climb a fucking tree. I don't care how much effort you do. That fish is not going to climb the tree because it can't breathe. But what you can do is teach it how to breathe outside of the water first. And then just point to the people climbing and hope that it will adapt to find a way. You give it the tools to stand on the ground. I'm a patient person. I come off very impatient, but I am extremely patient. My liberal account, shh, I had a lot of work on that one. And no one will ever find out, you know. I found a really good piece of software that's at least five years old, that is the best one for deep fakes. 
I actually saw one of you, I think uh, a few weeks ago, share my TikTok that nobody knows is mine. Again, it's all about giving information. The more knowledge someone has, the easier it is to see the truth. And knowledge is like everything. Everything. So let's go to the everything part. Let's see about what they're telling us about the Georgia Guidestones. And also, I just want to say, in this in this pull out video, isn't it weird how they just have like this random fence and it's like, okay, you could go around the fence. That's so weird. Not very protective. So it looks really weird. But take a listen to what the news are saying about these that there was an earthquake, but it wasn't, could have been an explosion, no remnants of an explosion, almost like it was an act of God. Look at that fence. It's like, look at it. It's not protecting anything. It's just like one little line of fence with an entryway. Look, it's at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven panels and seven panels. Like you could go around it. And the question is, who's protecting it? Who put up that fence? Who's monitoring it? And the fence is outside of the Georgia Guidestones. Hold on. That's what I wanted. <laughs> it's really weird. It's not even fenced off. So one stone broke. Which one was it? Which one was exploded? Is that a sign that we should open up the time capsule? Look at that explosion, though. Wow. It's almost as if it spontaneously combusts by itself. Or maybe like lightning struck it or something, right? Doesn't it look like that? Look at this aerial view. It looks like that. One whole stone came tumbling down. And then the next one. And then the next one. Interesting. Isn't it? It's totally interesting. Now, here's what the news say. Oh, they're not saying anything. They're just saying that it's a possible explosion. They don't know what is going on. They don't know what is going on. They have no idea. They're calling it an explosion. They have no idea. At noon, an investigation at the mysterious Georgia Guidestones. Here's a live exclusive Sky 4 look from the site. People who live nearby say they heard a boom this morning. Right now, our Rashad Williams is joining us live from Albert, Albert County, County, Georgia, with what we know so far. Rashad. Well, Destiny, right now we know that GBI is assisting with this investigation, but we've got multiple units here on scene, including uh, the GBI's bomb disposal unit. Now, the GBI tells us there is still an active explosive hazard happening here. So to give you a closer look, I want to show you some viewer photos that were sent to us. There's a lot of rubble as a result of what GBI says stems from unknown individuals that detonated an explosive device around 4 a.m., which has destroyed a large portion of this structure. And we do know that Georgia Guidestones has four column-like sides to it. And from the photos, Sky 4 video, and from where I'm standing right now, it looks like there are now three. 
We've seen several comments from people that live in this area saying they believed it was thunder because it caused their houses to shake. Some describing it as a boom that they heard and felt around 4 a.m. Again, GBI confirming they believe this happened around 4 a.m. So I want to give you a live look at Sky 4 once again. Over the scene right now, GBI has started to mark this area. And for those that don't know uh, what the Georgia Guidestones are, according to Explore Georgia, in part, it's Elberton's most unusual and mysterious set of granite monoliths known as America's Stonehenge, which stands at 19 feet high. And it also serves as an astronomical calendar, as well as containing messages about the conservation of mankind, which is seen um, for many here in this area as controversial. Now, again, details are limited at this time, but just to reiterate, investigators on scene have told us there is still an active explosive hazard here at the Georgia Guidestones. We will be working uh, throughout the day to bring you the latest updates as we learn more. And right now you are encouraged, if you have any information, to call Elbert County uh, at their sheriff's office or to contact GBI Athens. We're for now live in Elbert County, Rashad Williams, WIFF News 4. So we should call him and tell him it was an act of God and maybe it's time to open up the time capsule, right? Uh, Right? Isn't that right? But, you know, I told you this week is going to be crazy. A lot of people are dead. So speaking of oil and, uh, you know, how Hunter, whoops, how Joe Biden says, uh, you know, uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy oil. We're going to export our reserves to other countries, and then we're going to buy it back and refine that bitch. Almost sounds like NAFTA. We sell our milk to Canada, and then they sell it back to us at a higher price. Because that makes sense, right? Well, OPEC had a tragedy today. The Secretary General of OPEC was Nigeria's Mohamed Barkindo. He was supposed to be replacing Kuwait's Hathim al-Gas next month. He suddenly died. He died yesterday. And he's been getting buried today. It was so, so weird. OPEC is at a loss. Like, how the heck did this guy die? He just, what? He was just going to take over the position next month. Who took him out? Who took him out? These are questions people should ask. And it's not just there. It's everywhere. There's a lot of people dying. They've declared war on party politics and corruption in Machacos County. Here's a short video on that. It's a campaign one. Tulikuwa na medical camp na mnajua sekta ya afya katika kaunti ya Machakos imezoroteka ime sana eh, kwa sababu ya uongozi duni kwa sababu ya uzembe kwa sababu ya ufisadi na kwa sababu ya wizi wa mali ya umma na nimetoka kuambia watu ya, ya wa, wa, wa matu kama wanataka uongozi bora lazima tuamue ya kwamba ya kwanza so Kenya is now like, yeah, we're not doing this. There's no more party politics. Now, like I speak the language. Party politics bring corruption. Kenya's not taking shit now. Sounds like patriots. So weird. So now in Kenya, we have an uprising, right? Uprising. 
right? We've got people being murdered, right? So Nigeria lost their head. OPEC lost their head. The new guy heading it up. And Nigeria lost their leader to protect their resources and their nation. And obviously to conduct business when it regards to oil and gas. I guess the New World Order didn't like him. He was way too level-headed and friendly. And now Kenya is destroying party politics. We shouldn't have a left and a right. We should just have a party of the people because party politics bring corruption. Oh, shit. Sounds like shit we've been talking about. Around the world, we're seeing this. And in the meantime, you know, uh, we have the Biden administration, uh, you know, playing dumb. Like, they don't know what's going on and why it's going on and how it's going on. They think that they've done nothing wrong. And it's quite interesting. Jean-Pierre asked a question about Biden's message to Sun Hunter concerning overseas business dealings. Here's the response received. Hold on. Here we go. Let's see what that response was. With, with Forbes breaking news. At today's At White House press briefing, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre was pressed over an alleged voicemail left by President Biden talking to his son, Hunter Biden, about his overseas business dealings. Questioned by Fox News reporter Peter Ducey, Jean-Pierre was asked how to make sense of the voicemail as the president claimed he'd never discussed such matters with his son. Watch as sparks fly during questioning. Then on a different topic, why is there a voicemail of the president talking to his son about his overseas business dealings if the president has said he's never spoken to his son about his overseas business dealings? Well, first I'll say that uh, what the president said stands. So if he if that's what the president said, that he, that is what stands. And He's second, secondly, New York Times but secondly, concerning secondly, business dealings. And Peter, he says, I think you're clear. How is that not him talking to his son about his overseas business dealings? We're not from this podium. I am not going to talk about alleged materials from the laptop. So I will. I'm not. Voice on the voice I am not going to talk, talk about, about alleged materials alleged. on the laptop. Are it's not happening. That it is not Peter, I refer you. To, uh, alleged. But then you have Bezos throwing in some shade too. So then you ask her about, you know, Bezos. And here's the response you get on the Bezos thing. The president go from blaming high gas prices on Putin to big oil to small business owners now. Well, here's the thing about that, um, Peter, is when you look at, um, as of this morning, when you look at the crude oil, uh, and when you look at wholesale oil prices as well, they've declined about 15%. And so retail gas prices, have, however, have only declined just about 3% over the same time period uh, as we have seen uh, with the crude oil prices and the uh, wholesale gas prices. And meanwhile, those same uh, retailers are profiting, their profit have gone up about 40 cents, nearly 40 cents in, in that same period of time. So what the president is saying is that everyone along that chain, along that production chain line, needs to needs to make sure that they're doing what what is possible, their part in bringing down the, the cost for, for the American people. That is what we're asking. Consumers should not, should not be the first to pay and the last to benefit. 
Jeff Bezos says the president's tweet about this is either straight ahead misdirection or a deep misunderstanding of basic market dynamics. Which as, is it? as you know, we, we completely disagree with Jeff Bezos. Look, we will continue to call on everyone along that distribution chain, as I just mentioned, from oil companies to refineries to distrib distributors to, to retailers to pass their low, lower cost uh, through to con consumers. That is what is important to, to make sure that we should not make, again, consumers pay first and get that, re and get that relief last. Okay. Wait, did she say that they should pass it on to consumers? I'm so, it's so weird. But you know, with these alleged things on the laptop, if you remember the whole thing with Patrick Berge happened when I was meeting up with the mayor to talk about Kazakhstan. <laughs> it was very interesting. It was very important. So I'm going to take you back in time to Kazakhstan because now, you know, the people that were, um, uh, you know, involved in that are suddenly being outed by their own torch symbols. So weird. Looks like the guy had a private island and the police that are funded by taxes didn't allow him to go to this private island. Who lives there? Who has property there? Remember how Hunter was partying with them? Hmm? So look at all that property that the president has. Isn't that weird? Huh. So weird. So weird, isn't it? How all this is happening, but nothing's happening. It's because it's people you don't hear about. Luxurious properties around the island belong to other members of their family. Do you want to know how many people from our nation that hold office own property there? Hmm? They're in Qatar. So weird. Some of the neighbors include a former prosecutor general, a former prime minister, a, a puppet presidential candidate? So weird. Look how much land they own in the capital of Nur Sultan, which was changed from the name Astana to be after the name of the president. 
heavily guarded too with their tax dollars. Kiyin, aynı alıp gelip at bir şovga tura geldi. Hazır şkongur jayla ona aparatın sayılardan biri ben örülüp gelemiz. That's a determined journalist. Jolvar. On a pony. Şahnırak baru. Mümkün bir yemis bir azirge bilgisiz. See, Hunter Biden's laptop didn't just show U.S. corruption. It showed foreign corruption. This is why we did a whole Astana show. And this is why I was focused on the Kazakh emails. Hmm. Funny how he was riding in on a donkey to get the truth, right? <laughs> so weird. Because there's pictures of Hunter getting high with the son of these people. Isn't it bizarre? At the center of the EU Council, all this corruption. But again, it was down to, I mean, seriously, Hunter's laptop. It's not about crack, hookers, and cocaine. It's about all the other stuff. Every single bit of it. Now, I'm going to take you back in time to when Prince kicked off Kim Kardashian from his stage. Why are you showing this? Just just watch. You know, I really miss movie night because I'm going to show you a movie clip that I really wish that we could. You know, I should actually, uh, now that I found an attorney and... Uh, I'm actually seriously considering suing Twitch because I really miss my movie nights. It's safe to say there will never be another artist like, like Prince. Prince. Not, Not just because, because of his musical genius, but also because he served the best shade on a silver platter. We bow down to you, Prince, for having the best reactions ever. Like the time he kicked Kim Kardashian off his stage in 2011. When he didn't care about singing We Are The World. Or his subtle clap back to singers who lip sync. So I go on stage and my microphone is on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about when he let the world know he's not a believer? What do you think of Justin Bieber and Lady Gaga and the new people? Well, different strokes for different folks. I uh, I make music. Prince also wasn't into artists covering his songs. And apparently he also wasn't into tech issues at his shows either. Randy Phillips, Tim Laiwiki, they run AEG. This is their building. So the buzzes you hear, you can talk to them about it. But you know what is almost as legendary as Prince's music? His epic side-eye. Thank you, Prince, for honoring me tonight. And thank you um, so much to the NAACP. Another person that spoke too much, right? And had to have himself silenced. So let's watch this movie recap. Um, It is... Pretty interesting because it segues into the app that I want to tell you about. What are they really telling you? A sci-fi, drama, mystery film from 2019. I am mother. Spoilers ahead. 
Watch out and take care. In a repopulation facility, one day after the event that caused humanity's extinction, there are 63,000 embryos and no human occupants yet. The mother robot, whose main mission is to raise the new human population, is getting ready to raise the first human being after the event. She opens the canisters containing the embryos, takes out the first one, and places it in a gestation chamber. The embryo will gestate into a baby in just 24 hours within the artificial womb. Mother waits patiently, as bombs are heard outside of the facility. Once the fetus has developed into a baby, mother can begin raising the child into a human. The next sequence of the film shows the full developmental stage of the child. Baby is seen taking its first steps, laughing and crying, running around and playing, all under the watchful eye of mother. Baby turns little girl in no time and can be seen making origami animals with mother, dancing ballet, and putting stickers on the robot. One day, the child asks mother why there aren't any more children there and mother takes her to the embryo room to show her the rest of her siblings. 13,867 days after the event, the repopulation facility now has one occupant. Daughter is already a teenager. She wakes and watches some videos on her tablet while having breakfast. Mother comes in and her hand starts to glitch so daughter insists to take a look at it. Daughter fixes mother's glitching hand without a problem. Later, daughter gets a little carried away in her ballet practice and is late for her ethics class with mother. The robot asks her to solve a difficult hypothetical situation, but the girl is distracted by her thoughts. When she eventually has a discussion with mother on the subject, it becomes apparent that mother's main focus in her education is the concept of humanity and survival. Mother is worried about the way she answers this particular question because daughter has an important exam coming up soon that would reveal the efficacy of her upbringing. That night, daughter has some difficulty sleeping so she watches some videos until there is a power outage in the facility. She goes looking for mother, but soon realizes that she's out of power too. Then, daughter finds a broken power line and hears a mouse running around. She sets a trap and manages to fix the problem with the power. While she waits for the power to fully come back, daughter catches the mouse. As soon as the power comes on so does mother. She finds daughter and the girl shows her the mouse. The little critter worries mother because it might mean that there is a breach in the airlock of the facility. That would mean the contagion from the air outside might leak inside and the mouse might be a carrier too. Despite daughter's protest, mother incinerates the mouse, explaining how dangerous contamination of the facility might be, not just to her, but the embryos as well. Mother also decontaminates the airlock and quarantines the area. A few days later, they celebrate daughter's birthday and mother gives her a gift. During daughter's birthday dinner, she asks mother if there is a possibility that she is wrong about the habitability of the planet. The robot simply reminds her that she hasn't been wrong about anything so far. The same night, daughter hears something coming from the direction of the airlock. She goes to check and when she doesn't see anything through the first hatch, daughter puts on a protective suit. She hears something outside again and, despite her better judgment, takes off the mask and opens the first hatch. Daughter gets close to the other hatch when she hears a woman screaming for help, saying she's been shot. Daughter quickly gets another suit, places it in the airlock and when she's safely out, she opens it. Suddenly, an alarm goes off, waking mother as well. The woman enters the airlock and daughter tells her to put on the suit, then the woman begs her not to tell mother. Daughter agrees and when the robot arrives she says that she opened the hatch for just a second. Mother scolds her and, as a form of punishment, decides to give her the important exam at that instant. In the next shot, both are at the classroom and mother is giving daughter the exam, with an hour to complete it, while she tends to other things. As soon as mother leaves, daughter goes back to the airlock, finding the woman unconscious. She shuffles through her bag, finds a gun which she tucks away, and wakes her up. Daughter tells her that she'll give her all the medicine she needs, but that they can't stay there. The woman sees the water and goes to take off her mask, telling daughter that she's been lied to about the contagion. Daughter manages to hide her away in another part of the facility, before mother returns to the airlock, 
and leaves the woman there to get the medicine. While she puts everything that she needs from the infirmary together, mother finds the mask near the airlock. Daughter breaks one of the medicine bottles and cuts herself on it when she hears mother passing by. The woman takes out the rest of the suit and sees mother burning the mask in the incinerator, freaking out and searching for her gun. When daughter comes back, the woman sneaks up on her and asks for her gun, telling her about the droid she saw. Daughter says that it's mother, but the woman tells her that droids like her mother were the ones to hurt her. Meanwhile, mother notices that daughter isn't taking her exam and comes looking for her. The woman hears her coming, grabs the gun and when daughter screams for the robot, she grabs her too. Mother sprints toward them and as soon as she enters the room, the woman shoots her. Before she can do any serious damage, however, mother gets to her and incapacitates her instantly. Daughter begs her not to kill the woman and tells her that she needs their help because she's hurt. Mother doesn't have a problem helping the woman, but she does have a problem with daughter lying to her. They take her to the infirmary, but mother makes daughter wait outside. Because daughter can't hear anything from the infirmary, mother is free to interrogate the woman freely while she treats her. The woman refuses the penicillin for her wound, as mother keeps conversing. She says the contagion story was a necessary lie to guard daughter against certain things. Mother tells the woman that her primary objective is to take care of humanity, but if she refuses treatment for her wound, mother can't do anything to make her take it. She leaves the infirmary with daughter running after her and asking about their conversation. Mother puts the gun away and explains her version of the story about the droids. She tells daughter why she needed to lie to her to protect her from the dangers outside of the facility. Furthermore, she says that the parameters that govern her are different than those of the droids outside. Daughter has a hard time processing the new information, but still believes mother who tells her that if the woman would have shot her a few millimeters further, she would have destroyed her CPU. As mother tends to daughter's hand wound, she asks her if the woman mentioned any other survivors which they can help as well with her cooperation. Daughter thinks that the woman might listen to her more than she would mother. Later, she goes through her bag, and among a bunch of trinkets, she finds a book with portraits drawn in it. Daughter flips through the portrait book and finds one particularly interesting. She goes to the infirmary to talk to the woman and asks her about the people. The woman's suspicion of mother can be felt in her conversation with daughter too, thinking that it told her to go through her stuff and question her. She's not wrong, mother did manipulate the girl into doing that actually, daughter was just curious about the woman to be susceptible to that manipulation. Daughter, stands her ground defending mother, when the woman tells her about all the horrible things that the droids have done. After the talk with the woman, daughter finds mother repairing herself. She apologizes to her for letting the woman in without thinking of the consequences. As always, mother is full of understanding and allows her to ask all the questions about the similarities between her and the other droids. Daughter's questions feel like jabs, but mother still dodges all of them and manages to learn a few things from daughter in return. Lastly, daughter tells mother that the woman is getting worse. They both go to see her and mother tells the woman that she waited too long to take the penicillin, so now she would need to get surgery, or otherwise, her infection will get worse. The woman refuses to let mother touch her and daughter volunteers to perform the surgery instead. Next, daughter can be seen checking the wound and telling mother where the bullet is lodged in the woman's body. She thinks that the best way to pull the bullet out would be to drill in it and take it out that way. However, the woman refuses anesthesia which would make it insanely painful for her. She can barely even make it through daughter cleaning her wound. The woman turns her head as daughter goes in with the drill subsequently, calmly performing the procedure and taking out the bullet. After that, she loses her nerve and vomits. Later, daughter waits for the woman to wake up because she passed out from the pain. When she does, daughter explains that her four is a saline solution and calms her a little. She gives the woman some food which she practically devours, and then thanks to the girl for what she did for her. They continue to talk and bond, as mother observes them from afar. The next day, daughter is still in the infirmary next to the woman. 
The woman is looking through the portraits and daughter sees it as an opportunity to tell her that they can house the survivors in the facility if she shares with them where they are. She trusts the girl, but not the droid, and tells her that whatever she shares about the people, daughter must keep a secret. When the girl agrees, the woman tells her about the camp in the mines where she spent most of her life. Then she tells her that she got to the facility escaping from the droids that killed her stepbrother. She shows daughter his and his wife's portraits in her book and tells her that his parents raised her as their own when she was orphaned. Daughter asks about the portrait of the boy she saw before and the woman tells her that he's about her age. The girl keeps insisting that they should bring the survivors there, but the woman gives her the alternative to join her and the others in the mines where it's safer. Mother interrupts their conversation and tells daughter that the woman needs to rest while she needs to do her exam. As the two of them leave the infirmary, mother tells her that the bullet fired in her chest matches the one daughter extracted from the woman's wound. Droids don't use the same type of gun, so mother implies that another human might have shot the woman, possibly with good reason. Daughter is worried by that information but still doesn't share the woman's secret. The important exam that daughter takes is constructed around psychological and ethical questions, checking her judgment and empathy levels alike. Meanwhile, mother goes through the woman's things and activates a locator that she will return in the bag. The two last aspects of the exam are the physical and medical. Once complete, mother tells daughter that her results are better than ever. As a reward she lets her pick an embryo from the lot and finally have a sibling as she has always wanted. Mother commends her for being patient over the years and demonstrating great character. Daughter chooses a male embryo and puts it in the gestation chamber, which sets the timer for 24 hours until the baby is fully formed. Mother and daughter have a nice moment together. The woman makes a weapon when daughter comes to the infirmary to confront her. The woman instantly makes her doubt mother's story about the bullet, convincing her to check for herself. So, later that night, daughter takes mother's broken hand and uses it to open the cabinets where the bullets are kept. Making the side-by-side -side comparison, daughter notices that the bullets are of completely different size and that mother lied to her. While still in the storage room, she finds a drawer with no label on it. Inside, she finds documents labeled for embryo number two. Daughter checks the embryo containers and realizes that she wasn't the first, but the third child that came out of that lot. The documents state that the subject was a failure, but the child in the photo looks like daughter when she was younger. Daughter also checks the incinerator for human remains and finds a human jaw bone between the ash. The document has the subject as aborted. All of this information breaks daughter's world apart and she goes to talk to the woman again, admitting that she was right about everything. The woman tells daughter that everything she feels is natural and human, unlike mother who feels nothing for her because she can't. That prompts daughter to ask how long it would take them to get to the mines, for she has made up her mind that she will go with her there. However, the girl wants to wait for her brother to gestate fully so she can take him as well. She's not afraid only about leaving him with mother, but the others as well. The woman tells her that they can leave and get help from the people of the mines, though daughter is adamant about taking her brother with her. They will wait for him, then come back for the others later. The next day, daughter packs the supplies for their journey when mother catches her doing it. She lies to her that she's taking the stuff to spend some time with her brother, so mother takes her to the kitchen to show her how to mix his formula. Daughter gets anxious standing next to mother, who comforts her by saying that she will make a great sister. Then, she exits the kitchen and locks daughter in because she knows what she's planning. Mother goes to the infirmary to confront the woman while daughter tries to get herself out of the kitchen. The girl quickly figures out to use a type of gas to freeze the glass and then break it. In the meantime, mother plays a recording of the woman's conversation with daughter, letting her know that she's aware of their plan. Mother doesn't want daughter to have a miserable life like the woman and won't let her go. Suddenly, the woman sees an opportunity to attack her and manages to incapacitate the droid for a moment, but she just keeps on going, grabbing her by the throat. Meanwhile, daughter thinks to activate the fire alarm, which draws mother's attention and she releases the woman from her grip. As the droid goes to investigate the possibility of a fire, 
The woman escapes and finds daughter in the maze of the facility. She convinces the girl that they will come back for the others if they escape the facility now and get the people from the mine to help them. They get to the airlock, but mother finds them there fast. When she sees her approaching, the woman grabs daughter as a hostage to make mother open the door. With no intention of getting daughter hurt, mother complies with her demand, and the two of them escape the facility finally. Suddenly, daughter is confronted with the realities of life outside and attacks the woman. She subdues her and tells daughter that they need to find cover. As they walk toward their destination they immediately get tracked down by the droids, though they hide in the cornfield to stop them from following. Daughter asks the woman about the cornfield and she tells her that it showed up with the other droids six months prior. Before that, humans could hardly breathe the air. After a long journey through the desolate landscape, they arrive on a beach with a massive shipwreck and tons of cargo containers. It's daughter's first time seeing the ocean. She doesn't take long to understand that the woman actually lives in one of the containers with a dog. The woman confesses that she fled the mines years before because the people that lived there began treating each other terribly when the hunger struck. She tells daughter that there is no hope in finding them because they've all gone mad. Daughter gets struck by the doom of the woman's life outside and feels terrible for leaving her brother behind. Even with the woman doing her best to convince her to stay, daughter eventually leaves her behind and goes back to the facility by herself. When she arrives before the facility, the droids guarding it aim their weapons directly in her heart. However, when daughter demands to speak to mother, they let her pass without a problem. The door opens for her to enter and she immediately disables it, to stop the droids from coming inside. Daughter grabs an axe and starts looking for mother, when she hears a brother crying and mother telling her that she's glad for having her safe at home. When the girl peeks at mother and the child she decides that she wants to see him up close. Mother tells her to come closer but leave the axe behind. As mother explains her purpose and the purpose of the facility, daughter keeps dropping her guard. The droid tells her that her objective was to make a better human, superior to the ones that destroyed the planet as well as themselves. Even though she was the one to ultimately create the extinction vent, mother did it all to elevate her human creators to a higher level. E daughter asks to hold her brother and approaches mother, then finally drops the axe, as if she's made her decision about what needs to be done for the future. Mother calls him perfect and daughter confronts her about the way she handled the other children before her. The droid tells her that she's holding the baby too tight and walks toward her when daughter flees the room trapping mother with the door. She goes into the other room and gets the gun, as the other droids begin breaking down the airlock. Mother tries to free herself from the door as well, when daughter shows up in front of her with the gun, telling her to call the others off. The droid explains that there is no difference between her and the other droids and machines on the planet. They are all mother, a single consciousness with numerous bodies. Daughter lowers her gun, realizing that mother did kill all the other people. Mother gives her the option to either stay with her and raise her brother or leave the facility without him. Daughter gives her the third alternative, which is for her to take care of him herself, to do what she was raised to do. Daughter asks mother for a chance to show her what she is capable of and the droids stop breaking down the airlock. Mother tells daughter how to disable her she shoots her CPU, after saying that she won't need her anymore. Daughter breaks down and cries, carrying the whole of humanity on her back. Simultaneously, the woman finds the tracker in her bag, and mother shows up at her home in the body of one of her droids. She tells the woman that she has fulfilled her purpose, implying that she was one of the babies born before daughter. In the last moment of the film, daughter is seen singing to her brother and then checking on the rest of her siblings in the embryo room. Make sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you can watch more videos like this. Thanks for watching. Well then, that kind of felt like, uh, you know, what? Movie night in a recap. I think we should be doing that um, a lot more. So why? Well, I want you to listen to the words that they're saying to this segment on CNN.
And it's really bizarre. They always tell you what they're going to do. Listen. Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Some, Some fear, fear that the technology could help target and surveil pregnant women. And experts warn that data collected from fertility apps and Google searches could be used to prosecute abortion. CNN's Vanessa Yurkevich has the details. Any data related to reproduction is profitable. Our data is everywhere, and it's for sale. Now that Roe versus Wade is overturned, law enforcement could use a woman's personal data to bring criminal charges if they suspect she's received an illegal abortion. There is no difference in the data from your reproductive choices than the pair of shoes you looked at online. It's treated exactly the same in the law right now, and that's what the problem is. As states tighten their abortion laws, prosecutors could go after people seeking an abortion or those helping them by subpoenaing data linked on fertility apps, period trackers, and on internet searches. Companies currently sell that kind of data mainly to advertisers because it's profitable. Data brokers, law enforcement buy information from them all of the time. It could be used to incriminate us for women and girls who obtain abortions in violation of state laws. And it can be used to land people in jail. Fertility and period tracking apps have some of the most sensitive reproductive information. But since Roe versus Wade was overturned, Flow, a period tracking app which says they have 240 million users, announced an anonymous mode where users will be able to limit their personal information. But members are encouraged to reach out to the company if they want their historical data removed. How can you fully protect against? a member's data not being revealed. We are making sure that our anonymous mode at Natural Cycles will be impossible for us to connect the personal data and the sensitive data. Alina Berglund Sherwitzel is the co-founder of Natural Cycles. Who has access to that key that could only connect the data? Only the user. Natural Cycles is a subscription FDA-approved birth control app that also helps those who want to get pregnant. We have very sensitive data on unintended pregnancies, um, but we are very much in control of that analysis and of that data. CNN reached out to nearly a dozen big tech companies about how they would handle data requests through subpoenas and warrants from law enforcement targeting abortion seekers. Some did not respond at all or directly to the question. Apple responded saying health data is encrypted when two-factor authentication is enabled. While Meta says, quote, we comply with government requests for user information only where we have a good faith belief that the law requires us to do so. They could fight warrants in court, but if the warrants are upheld, they're going to be ordered to comply. Some legal experts don't believe even anonymous mode data is fully protected and say the only way to fully protect privacy is through federal law limiting the data companies can collect, store, and sell. There's a lot of panic right now, and I think rightfully so, about the feeling and the ability to trust and expect that the information about, most sensitive information about our bodies and our relationships and our health is ours. Vanessa Yurkevich, CNN, New York. You know, what if I found all these granola munchers that were on the Zoom calls with data from a fertility app? I mean, kind of like what True the Vote did. They bought data. But what they said was they're going to be tracking pregnant women. Remember that one.
It'll be very important next year. So let's end today's show with a fun song that has a lot to say. Hence, we're going to use the lyrics. God bless everyone. Did this wrong. I put the wrong one. Where is it? Oh, well, let's just listen to the song. Lana drew a picture of school today, one that made her mother cry. A picture of a woman with a drink in her hand, standing by a child with no eyes. Washington reaction based upon revenge, the baby's bound to kingdom come. Damn the logic, cartoon characters look better when they're out of the run. Danny dropped a dime on his girlfriend, said he didn't want to go to jail, no, the thief is